Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Frank Spangler, and this is Worldviews, a podcast that seeks to find harmony between the philosophies and worldviews of religion and science. In the beginning there was nothing. The expanse was formless and empty. There was darkness and chaos. An egg began to take shape inside the expanse. The egg incubated for a total of 18,000 years, in which time two opposing forces of yin and yang developed and became perfectly balanced. Inside the egg, a primitive, hairy beast called Pangu began to form and at the end of the 18,000 years, he awoke and began to create. With his giant axe, Pangu cracked open the egg, separating the yin from the yang. The yin became a murky earth and the yang became a clear sky. To keep the two forces separate, Pangu stood in the center and pushed up on the sky. Each day, the sky grew three meters higher, and the earth grew three meters thicker. Pangu also grew each day. This process of separation and growing went on for another 18,000 years. At the end of this era, Pangu died. The breath within him became the wind, mist, and clouds. His voice became the thunder. His left eye became the sun. His right eye, the moon. His head became the mountains. His blood, the rivers. His muscles became fertile land. His facial hair became the stars and Milky Way. His fur, the bushes and forest. His bones became valuable minerals. His bone marrow, precious jewels. His sweat became rain and the fleas on his fur became animals, including people. This fascinating tale is one of the many creation myths of Chinese culture. If you have ever wondered which came first, the chicken or the egg, this creation story may hold an answer. In today's lesson, we are going to consider creation myths and what they can tell us about one of life's biggest questions. Where did we come from? What was it like in the beginning? Creation stories. Every culture has them. The Hindu culture does not really speak of a beginning, but many repeating cycles. After each universe is destroyed, there is nothing but a vast ocean. For the most recent cycle, it is said, In the beginning, darkness hides darkness. There is no sign of day or night. 
a large serpent floats on the surface of a vast ocean. Vishnu is asleep in its coils. A large lotus plant sprouts out of his navel. On top of the lotus plant, a four-headed demigod, Brahma, takes his place. Vishnu encourages Brahma to create the world with the materials he has provided. After much meditation, Brahma splits the lotus into three parts. One becomes the heavens, one becomes the sky, and the third the earth. He fills the earth with plants, trees, and animals. He eventually also creates man and other species. From the ancient Babylonian kingdom comes this wonderful creation myth. In the beginning, there was only water, swirling in chaos. One day, the water separated into fresh water and salt water. The fresh water became the god Apsu, and the salt water became the goddess Taimat. From the union of these two entities, there came the birth of younger gods. The younger gods loved to play. They were very loud and disturbed the sleep and work of Apsu. He plots to destroy them. Taima hears of the plot and warns her sons. One of them rises up and kills Apsu. Well, this was more than Taimat desired, and in her anger she decides to go to war with them. She summons the forces of chaos and creates eleven horrible monsters to destroy her children. But before the battle begins, the group of young gods form a large warrior champion by the name of Marduk. In the battle that ensues, Marduk kills Taimat with an arrow that splits her in two. From her eyes flow the waters of the Tigris and the Euphrates. From out of her corpse, Marduk creates the heavens and the earth. From the bones of Taimat's monsters who were killed in the battle, Marduk creates the first man. He forms flesh around the bones and breathes life into them. To man, Marduk commands to serve the gods and appoints the responsibility of maintaining order on earth and keeping chaos at bay. Marduk emerges as the great god that rules the universe and rises up into the sky to become the sun. Of all of the origin narratives, probably the best-known creation story is found in the first couple chapters of Genesis in the Bible. For those of you who may not be familiar with it, the creation story in Genesis also starts with the words, In the beginning. I like that. You know, many critics of the Bible, many critics of Christianity ask, 
the question, how can you put so much trust in the Bible when it gets it wrong from the very first page? I think that it is really nice that in these first three words, in the beginning, the Bible got it right long before science did. For many years, science believed and taught that the universe was static and infinitely old. The Bible claimed that there was a beginning. Who was right? The idea of a static, infinitely old universe had been around since the 1500s. When the proposals of the naturalistic evolution of life came along in the 1800s, the idea of an infinitely old universe fit well with that idea, as it allowed enough time for life to arise somewhere in the universe, spontaneously, by natural, random forces alone. But then, with the discoveries of Albert Einstein, Lemaitre, Edwin Hubble, and others in the first half of the 1900s, science began to question the idea of a static universe. Through their calculations and observations, they realized that the universe was expanding, getting bigger, almost like it was being blown up like a big balloon. They began to propose that the universe at one time was much, much smaller, and that there was probably a point in time when it all began. Many scientists resisted the idea. They said, oh, no, that sounds too much like the Bible. English astronomer Fred Hoyle was especially opposed. On a uh, BBC radio interview in 1949, Hoyle tried to discredit the new emerging idea of a, a, a universe that had a beginning by referring to it somewhat in derogatory terms as the Big Bang. To his surprise, and perhaps dismay, the name stuck and eventually was widely adopted by science. Today, with our bigger and better telescopes, the Hubble telescope, for example, that's out in space, the Big Bang Theory is considered to be the best scientific proposal for the origin of our universe. It turns out that the Bible did get it right from the very first page. The universe is not infinitely old, and static. It had a beginning. It is dynamic. It is expanding. It is growing. Ironically, and I would add sadly, many Christians don't like the idea of the Big Bang Theory. I find this so unfortunate. I'm a strong believer that the Creator wants us to study His creation. He wants us to find Him, not only through the book of the Bible, but also other books, particularly the book of nature. 
There are so many things I believe that we can discover about the nature of our Creator through His vast created works. I believe that when studied with an open and unbiased mind, science reveals much about the Creator and His awesome power. Here, the Big Bang Theory that affirms that there was a beginning, just as the Bible said, is one of those huge intersecting points between the book of the Bible and the book of nature. Here is where there's harmony and agreement, and yet many Christians do their best to deny it. Here, science is affirming that the Bible did get it right, and yet so many Christians reject it simply because of the age that is assigned to the event by science as being 13.8 billion years ago. You see, many Christians believe that when the Bible says, in the beginning, that this beginning happened only six to 10,000 years ago. And so they let go of one of the best touchstone points between God's two great books. It is my firm belief that Christians need not be afraid of 13.8 billion years. The creator of this universe is the creator of time itself. In his magnificent power, 13.8 billion years is nothing. He can stretch back time as far as he needs to for the universe to mature to the point it needs to to have such things as heavy elements needed for rocky planets and for all of the fine-tuning necessary to create carbon-based life. In future studies, we will explore this in much greater detail. For now, before we close, I would like for us to consider the charge that many critics of the Bible make. They ask, why do you Christians put so much faith and credibility in the creation story of the Bible? Can't you see that it is just like the many creation myths of other cultures? Why do you believe that the Hebrew creation myth has any more validity than the creation myths of, say, the Babylonians, or the Egyptians, the Hindus, the Chinese? Every culture has one. Some have many. What makes you think that this one, found in Genesis, is the one to put your faith in, the one to believe in? Have you ever been asked that question? Did you have a good answer? By the way, I want to say something about the term creation myth. In English, the term myth or mythology usually holds the connotation of being an untruth, a lie, a fabrication, an old wives' tale, a fable. 
with no basis in reality or, or fact. We even have a, a popular TV show here in North America called Mythbusters, where in every episode the hosts demonstrate that a commonly held belief is nothing but pure fabrication, pure fiction. But it is important to note that when anthropologists use the term creation myth, it is a technical term that's used in their discipline that simply refers to the origin stories of any culture with, with no intention of determining validity or the absolute truthfulness of the story by using the term myth. Anthropologists are a very accommodating bunch, and uh, as they study a culture, they do their best to reserve judgment or criticism of the culture, they would never mean to insult or ridicule. Creation myth is just their technical term for creation story or creation narrative, creation account. And they recognize that these creation stories make up the very foundation of a culture, that it is central to their belief system and is often held as sacred and so it would never be their intention to be derogatory when they use the term creation myth. Funny story. The first time I encountered this, I was only about 19 years old, and in my first year at college in a small Bible college in Canada. And uh, I noticed that there was a course uh, offered there on biblical literature, and I was intrigued. I, I wanted to take that class in the literature of the Bible. However, it was a 400-level class, which means that it was really a class that was designed for fourth-year students, not freshmen like I was. But I somehow managed to gain special permission, and I joined the class. Unfortunately, I was a few days late and probably missed some very good introductory uh, materials, but I do remember how shocked I was when I would hear the professor refer to the creation myth of Genesis, or the Genesis narrative, or the Genesis account of creation, or the creation myth of the Hebrew people. I couldn't figure out why my Christian professor at my Christian Bible college was calling Genesis a myth. And after a couple of classes, I dropped out. Only later did I realize what was going on. It was a technical term. Point is, if you ever hear a Bible teacher, a college professor, a pastor, or some anthropologist or some YouTube lecturer talking about the creation myth of Genesis, it doesn't necessarily mean that he has given up his faith or belief in the validity of the divine inspiration of Genesis. And for me, that is what makes the real difference between the Hebrew creation story and the creation narratives of other cultures. If a skeptic asks me why I hold the Genesis narrative higher 
than the myths of other cultures, it is because I believe that Genesis was inspired by the Creator Himself. And that makes all the difference for me. My Hindu friends in India and Nepal may believe that their creation story is inspired, and that is what will make the difference for them as they think about their origin story. It is what you believe to be inspired by the Creator that makes all the difference. Some critics might ask, if the Bible is inspired, why do so many people have different interpretations of what the Bible says? Why was the Bible written in such a way that the one book could spawn so many Christian denominations? They might ask, if the Genesis story is inspired by the Creator, why does the account have so many of the same elements as the creation stories of other cultures? Why does the Genesis account have so many statements that defy logic, that defy our current understanding of the cosmos and our scientific discovery? These are all good questions, and we will take up all of them as we continue our study together. In our very next lesson, I want to start by considering the question of the nature of inspiration. When we say that the Bible was inspired, what does that mean? How does that work? What authority should we give to the ancient writings of a long-ago culture? How should we interpret them? How should we apply the teachings of the Bible to our life today? How can we find harmony between the book of nature and the book of the Bible? How should we understand it if the Bible says one thing and science says another? For the answer to these questions, I hope that you will join us for more discussions here at Worldviews. So long for now.